0: Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Welcome to Aggie RUF Winter Conference 2024. Really glad you're here. Let me just say this, okay? Like, I really, really want this to be a restful weekend week. I, I know that some of you, if you, if you are new to RUF. If you are new to coming to a conference. If you drove to a two two hours, forty five minutes to come here, really, we're glad you're here, and we're glad you're able to make it. We want this to be a, a time. We, I know that this is just an overwhelming part of the semester. You're in exams, you're probably have homework. Some of you have homework due Mario I talked to like it's just it's a crazy time this the semester. We're really glad that that you took the time to come to a conference like this. And so we want to honor that time, and we want you to be able to also, to be able to rest, and to be able to actually fellowship and get to know one another. We've actually, we're, we're going to have something after large group where we're going to be able to spend time together and get to know each other. Okay. We also will have small groups after our large group. So after Michael preaches for us, Emma's going to come up, she's going to tell you what, what small groups you're in, and then we'll go spend some 15 minutes together, and then we'll gather back in here together. Okay. Um, So we want this to be a time where you can rest. We want this to be a time where you can fellowship with one another. We also want this to be a time where you can worship and be edified and be nourished by God's Word this weekend. And so this weekend we have a really special gift because we have the honor of Reverend Michael Novak preaching to us and preaching God's Word to us. We also have his lovely family here with us, Rachel. And Caleb and Abigail and Kate—they're here with us. Please get to know them. Go talk to them. Go spend time with them. Uh, You—I've already spent just an hour out them, out there with them, and uh, they've been already a uh, gift to get to know. So please take time to get to know them uh, and say hey. Well, let me tell you a little bit about our, our speaker tonight, Michael. Novak and his wife Rachel are both originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, love that, right? Uh, Michael attended the University of Tennessee. The other UT, okay, before you this. okay, uh, not the UT down the road here, uh, but while, uh, while Rachel actually attended Covenant College in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, before moving to Texas, Michael attended Covenant Theological Seminary, earning his Master of Divinity, uh, where he studied Bible theology and counseling, Michael is currently engaged in pursuing a Doctor of Ministry, DMin, degree in ministry and organizational leadership. Michael served as an RUF campus minister. So he comes from the RUF cloth. Okay, he served as an RUF campus minister at Trinity University from 2010 to 2017, and now Michael currently serves as a senior pastor at Trinity Grace Presbyterian Church in San Antonio. He planted that. And you know, are about to celebrate your six-year. Right? Day of worship coming up this next Sunday. Okay, that's amazing. Um, So Michael, Rachel, they have three children, Caleb, Abigail, and Catherine. Please uh, go say to them. They enjoy being outdoors, taking visits to the park, watching movies, finding unique restaurants. And according to a source... Uh, Michael has a very solid cryptocurrency investing game. That was an outside source. He doesn't know I have that information. So, uh, remember Michael Novak, let's give him a very warm welcome to the
1: Student in Knoxville, Tennessee, spent seven years ministering on the campus of Trinity University. Uh, my kids have missed RUF conferences, so they're excited to be here. Please pull them aside, talk to them. They'd love to engage with you this weekend. But the plan for the weekend is to spend our time intentionally looking at how Jesus relates to different types of people from the pages of the Gospels. And the hope is that as we take a look at how Jesus interacts with different types of people this weekend, we might be able to more appreciate how He relates with us. As you read the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus interact with a large cross-section of people. He interacts with religious leaders. He interacts with people filled with shame, over sin, with individuals who have been debilitated with sickness and ailments through their life, with the demon-possessed, with the forgotten, with those who enjoy power and influence in society, with men and women, with rich and poor, with those who know their sin, and also those who think they're doing pretty good. And whenever you see a person encounter Jesus, things change. An encounter with Jesus never leaves a person the same. An encounter with Jesus leaves some renewed and restored, while it leaves others confused and maybe even angry. And what we see on the pages of the Gospels is that an encounter with Jesus is transformative. And it makes sense, because almost everyone recognizes that Jesus is a special person. Believer, unbeliever alike, they respect and admire Jesus to some degree. I love how one author puts it when he says this about Jesus. At first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He never owned a home He never wrote a book, he never held an office, he never had a family, he never went to college, he never put his foot inside a big city, he never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born, he never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. Nonetheless, Jesus is the most famous person in all of human history, more songs have been sung to him artwork created of him and books written about him than anyone who has ever lived. In other words, in 2,000 years, no one is going to be talking about you and me. No one's going to be talking about Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos. We'll all be long forgotten, but people will still be talking about Jesus. He is a compelling figure. And it's worth spending time with him, getting to know him understanding how he relates to people like you and me. We believe that frequent encounters with Jesus are what both the non-believer needs to come to faith and what the believers need to grow in their faith. You might say we're under the conviction that you can't have enough time with Jesus. And there's no way to be overexposed to Christ and his care and his love and his compassion and his challenge. And we get these things in the Gospels. So that's the plan for the weekend, to spend some intentional time with Jesus, to slow down. And we're going to start by looking at an encounter that Jesus had with Peter at the very beginning of his ministry. As you might know, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and you might say closest friends. He's an interesting person, hugely influential in the beginnings of Christianity. As we'll see tonight, he's a fisherman by trade, but he left everything in order to follow Jesus. Peter spent three years of his life following Christ, learning from him, working with him, following along with him, whatever he did. And after Jesus was raised and ascended to heaven, Peter carried forth the mission of Jesus into the world. Crucial figure in the early church. And Peter's interesting because Peter's a bundle of paradoxes. In some instances, he is off the charts bright. In other cases, it seems like he's got no hope of ever understanding what Jesus is trying to teach. In some cases, he answers questions with great insight and brilliance, but not long after, he completely sticks his foot in his mouth. We see boldness and faithfulness, but we also see betrayal and fear. Peter's a walking contradiction. Beautiful and broken, confident and confused, fearful at times, fearless at others, and we can put ourselves in his shoes. Because we know what it's like to be walking contradictions, don't we? We know what it's like to get it right one day and completely blow it the next. We've experienced moments of connection with God followed by days of darkness. We know what it's like to commit to be a better person, but then amiss the mark that we've set for ourselves. We can relate to Peter. We understand him. We see ourselves in him in so many ways. So let's place ourselves in Peter's shoes tonight. As we encounter the call of Jesus on our lives, you follow along as I read from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the passage is up there for you on the slides. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen got out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had just caught. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought him their boat brought their boats to land, they left everything. And followed him. Well, I tell my church this every week that this is God's word, and He gives it to us because He loves you and He wants you to know Him. Almost two decades ago, now I attended the University of Tennessee for college. I also mentioned, it's okay. We're both in the SEC now, I guess, so we received this. But. At UT, I studied history and political science and made some really good friends along the way. Most of which I still talk to today. And. As my friends and I neared the end of our college careers, much like some of you were doing, it was time to decide what was next. And I was pretty set on heading to seminary and exploring the idea of vocational ministry. And as you might imagine, I was alone in that career pursuit at the time. None of my friends were going to do the same thing. It seemed like all the rest of my good friends were taking the accounting route, the business route, but focusing in on accounting. And they all wanted to be CPAs. Probably tells you a bit about the fun my friends and I had in college, right? <laughs> Real fun group of people to be around. But I remember that as accounting majors, during their last year, they would often be invited out to these recruiting events by accounting firms that would come and visit the college. My friends would go out to, uh, uh, to these events with these recruiters, and they would return home telling me about the amazing steakhouse or the weekend retreat, or the sports game that they had just experienced with these recruiters. And I remember, as they were telling me about these amazing visits, I began to think that I was on the wrong path in life. As you likely know, these recruiters, they come, and they have very specific purposes in visiting the college. They were sent by their firms. They were given a pretty sizable budget in hopes of compelling these accounting students to come and work for their organization, Right? There were lots of accounting firms competing for the same students, so they wanted to make an impression. They wanted to come. They wanted to recruit the people they needed. They wanted to compel my friends to come work with them. And it's not dissimilar to what we see Jesus doing early on in the Gospel accounts. Jesus is a man with a mission and a purpose, and he begins his ministry by moving out to recruit others to join his mission and purpose in this world. And as we pick up in Luke 5, we're at the very beginnings of Jesus' public ministry. Remember, he spent about 30 years of his life growing and working in relative obscurity. And then at the age of 30, he comes onto the scene proclaiming the kingdom of God, announcing that something new is about to happen. Up to this point in his ministry, Jesus has been traveling from town to town. He's preaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath, he's healing people, he's performing miracles. And as Jesus was teaching, Luke comments more than once that people were impressed because Jesus taught as one with authority. And because of this, reports begin spreading around the region about this man. Jesus is beginning to spread out the scope of his ministry. He's planning to head to other towns, and he needs some helpers to do it with him so as we pick up in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is taking the initiative to recruit followers. That's what he's doing. He approaches people at the very beginning of his ministry and compels them to follow him. In our passage tonight, we see Jesus approach Peter and give him a very clear call to follow him. And what we see Jesus do with Peter, you've got to understand it's the same thing he wants to do with each one of us tonight. He wants to call us to himself. Ultimately, but also over and over and over again. And it's our main point. It's pretty simple tonight. Let's keep first things first, right? Christ is calling you to follow Him. Christ is calling us to follow Him. And on one hand, like I said, He's doing it in the ultimate sense. He calls us to put our faith in Him. He wants us to be ultimately saved. But on the other hand, He is calling us in a continual sense where we're compelled to follow Him on a daily basis. And so tonight, as we consider Christ's call in our lives, I want us to think about it under three quick headings. We're going to look at the people Jesus calls, the mission Jesus calls us to, and the response this call demands. Got it? People, mission, response. All under the umbrella of Paul. First, let's look at the people Jesus calls. One of the primary things Jesus did in his earthly ministry was to make disciples. In the midst of teaching and healing, he was also concerned with gathering followers so that he could take that message out to the rest of the world through them. Jesus was constantly recruiting disciples. In a disciple, according to one scholar, don't let your eyes glaze over, this is the, the definition, it's an inherent or follower of a master, an intimate companion in some endeavor, often that entails learning and promoting a particular ideology. As Jesus gathered disciples, he was calling people to follow him as master, calling
0: people to join
1: him in proclaiming the good news far and wide. And as we think about Jesus gathering disciples, it's interesting to see the way he goes about it, and you might not even know that it's interesting. We see that Jesus is one who takes the initiative, he approaches people and calls them to become his disciples. And it may not sound interesting, but it's important to know that it's completely backwards from the way that it normally worked in that day and age. In first century Israel, rabbis never pursued disciples. Instead, rabbis would be pursued by potential students. No self-respecting rabbi in that culture would stoop so low as to go looking for followers. It was expected that followers would approach the rabbi for the privilege of learning from him. Never the other way around. But what we see from Jesus, the rabbi, is that he goes in search of his disciples. Jesus is not too proud to be seeking his own students. Jesus goes after Peter. In no way is Peter looking for Jesus in this passage. Did you notice that? Peter's just doing what he normally does. He's spending the day fishing. And at the end of what was likely a long night of fishing with no success, you might say a hard night at work, he's packing up, cleaning up his nets, when Jesus comes along and takes the initiative to call him as a disciple. Jesus comes and he reaches into everyday contexts. It's interesting. He looks for his first disciples. He's by the sea, he's not in the synagogues, he's not in the religious institutions. On top of that, you notice Jesus using fresh, secular language here. It's language that these men would understand. He uses the language of their trade. He goes into their work case, and he speaks very easily with them. From fishing for fish to fishing for men. Jesus is one who takes the initiative in seeking out and calling people to himself, and it would have been very unusual. And this brings up another question Why did Jesus call Peter? Did Jesus see some ministry potential or some sincerity that singled Peter out? Nothing of the sorts really mentioned, is it? Peter really didn't do anything to deserve this call from Jesus. It wasn't because of some unseen potential or his sincerity or his gifting or really even his interest. No one would have singled Peter out as a great candidate for following Jesus at this time. He was too normal. He had no religious training. He was likely a big guy who was used to long days as a commercial fisherman. A little rough around the edges, you might say. But we see Jesus calling these kind of people throughout the Gospels. Jesus goes after the normal, the unexpected, even the outcasts. These are his recruits, the kind of people Jesus likes to work with. You might not know this, but a few years ago, back in 2018, the Jesus Storybook Bible, believe it or not, cracked the top 10 of the Wall Street Journal's nonfiction book list. The Jesus Storybook Bible came in as the ninth most popular nonfiction book in the country at the time, just ahead of Oprah's book, her latest book. And we read the Jesus Storybook Bible in our family when they were little, and I can see why this kid's Bible is becoming or has become so popular in our culture, even with adults. It's because this kid's Bible really puts profound truths into easily understandable stories. And I particularly like how it tells the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. This is how Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author, puts it in her kid's Bible. She says, Jesus needed to find some helpers and friends. He had a lot to do. He would need some people to help him. Who would make good helpers, do you think? And remember, you're reading this to little kids. Clever ones, rich ones, strong, important ones. Some people might think so, but I'm sure by now you don't need me to tell you that they'd be wrong. Because the people God uses don't have to know a lot of things or have a lot of things. They just have to need him a lot. One day, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee when he saw some brothers and friends mending their nets. They were poor fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Let's go. We see it over and over again as Jesus calls people to himself. The main requirement is that you have to need him a lot. You've got to feel your need for him. It's not your competence, it's not your potential, it's not your sincerity. It's not your upbringing, it's not your gifting, it's your neediness that draws Jesus to you. And this is a breath of fresh air for most of us, who often slip into believing that the relationship that we have with Jesus is all up to us. We believe that it's all about our initiative with God. Constantly wondering if we're searching hard enough, are we behaving enough, are we good enough, are we doing enough? But the call of Peter reminds us that Jesus comes and he calls normal, unexpected people to follow him on mission in this world. Now let's turn and spend just a few minutes looking at the nature of the mission that Jesus calls us to. Initially... Jesus uses Peter's boat to get some distance from the crowd. You notice that in the passage. He steps into the boat, pushes away from the land a bit, spends some time teaching the crowd, which would have been gathered in an amphitheater-type inlet along the Sea of Galilee. Great acoustics; You could preach all day if he wanted to. And after teaching, in verse four, we see Jesus tell Peter to put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, we've got to stop here. At this point, we get a sense from the passage that Peter is likely a little annoyed. He just had to sit through a sermon, and now he's been given unsolicited advice from a man who is not a fisherman, right? And he reminds Jesus that they had just spent all night on the water and didn't catch a single fish. Peter's likely tired. He just cleaned up from the night before. He's a bit grumpy, probably. And Jesus, as far as we know who had no expertise in fishing, is giving Peter fishing advice. It's almost comical, isn't it? I think it's safe to assume that Peter didn't expect much (laughs) here. After all, Peter knows what he's doing. He has fished these waters before. And on top of that, it's daytime, which isn't even the time to catch fish anyway. But Peter, in our passage, respects Jesus enough, I guess... Listening to his command, lets down his nets, and in verse 6, we see that they caught such a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. Such a large number of fish, they filled both boats and they were about to sink. Now, this is the last thing Peter expected. And this encounter reveals something about the nature of Christ's mission in this world, and it's this. Jesus always brings much more than we expect. Jesus wants to astonish us. He wants to interrupt our lives like he did with Peter and give us more than we could imagine. I wonder what you expect of Jesus tonight. What do you expect of Jesus this weekend? What do you expect of Jesus in your life? When you think of the broken areas of your life specifically tonight, relationships, addictions, doubts, fears, the setting sins, struggles, sufferings, whatever it might be, do you expect Jesus to do anything? I think we're often like Peter and we think, I know these waters. I've fished these waters before. When it comes to different areas of our lives, our struggles, our relationships, our temptations, our frustrations, we don't really expect much. We've grown so accustomed to the way things are that renewal and restoration in these areas seems impossible. And if we're honest, we have to say that we're like Peter we think we know better than Jesus. we fished these waters before. What could Jesus offer that we don't already know? But could it be possible that Jesus might astonish us with what he can do in these broken areas of our lives? That Jesus wants to bring renewal into the areas of life that we least expect? Peter experiences the miracle of Jesus, and he knows that this is not normal. What Jesus does here, it shocks Peter, and he begins to get it, you might say. And we see Peter respond in a way that we see others respond throughout Scripture when they've encountered God. He falls to his knees, confesses his sin, asks Jesus to leave. And Jesus responds to Peter's astonishment by assuring him that this is the new normal. This is what you should expect from now on. Jesus calls Peter to himself, encourages him to expect the same results in the mission they are about to begin together. In other words, this is going to be an amazing adventure, Jesus is saying. An adventure that's focused on bringing other people into the kingdom of God. It's a mission that's for others, not necessarily just for Peter. And it's what we all want, isn't it? We want an effectiveness with people. We all have an innate desire to influence others. We all want to socially make a mark. And Jesus promises that mark here. Follow me. We're going to go catch people. And as you think about your life following Jesus, it's important to remember that Jesus isn't calling us to be preoccupied with our own experience of salvation. Instead, he's calling us to bring that salvation to others. We are called to be a group of people for those who haven't yet been caught by Jesus. A group of people for those we haven't even met yet, maybe. And this is an exciting call. It's really a thrilling mission. Jesus is calling us to something big and grand and engaging. It's the kind of mission you were created for, the kind of mission that can fulfill you, the kind of mission that brings freedom in life. Some of you might know that this summer the Olympics are going to take place in Paris. And as they always do, we'll turn on the TV and they'll begin with an amazing display of excitement and creativity in the opening ceremonies. And during these ceremonies, it's always fun to watch the athletes walk into the stadium behind their country's flag, isn't it? These athletes, they're beaming with pride. They're excited to finally be at the Olympics. All the hard work has paid off. These men and women have spent most of their lives giving their time and energy and passion over to the pursuit of something bigger than themselves, you might say. And as you watch these athletes perform, they are fully engaged. They are free and alive. They're fulfilled, you might say. And in much the same way, Jesus is calling each one of us into something bigger than ourselves as we follow him. He's calling us to a grand mission that affects every aspect of our life. We're going to be fishing for people, Jesus says. Bringing renewal and restoration to bear on a broken world. Pushing back the curse of sin. And it's an exciting call. It's a grand purpose in life that shapes how we spend our energy and time and money and relationships. It's a grand mission meant to capture your attention and motivate every area of your life. What might Jesus do in our midst as we follow his call in our lives? We see he calls us to a grand mission. And lastly, let's just spend a few minutes looking at the response this call demands. After Jesus initiates with Peter and calls him to this exciting mission, we see the response from Peter, along with James and John. This call from Jesus is so compelling that when they bring their boats to land, after they've just caught the best haul of their careers, probably, these men immediately leave everything to follow Christ. And this response is really remarkable for a number of reasons. The first is that Peter was a fisherman because it was the vocation that was likely passed down in his family for many generations. He was good at it. It was lucrative. He knew what he was doing. It was safe and secure. And against this backdrop, Jesus calls him to something completely unknown, taking him out of his comfort zone, asking him to take a huge risk. And we also know that Peter left not only his vocation, but also his family, all in order to follow Jesus. We see from this passage that the call of Jesus costs him something. It costs Peter his comfort, his security, his relationships. And answering the call of Jesus is likely going to cost you some of the same things. As we seek to follow this new master and live by his kingdom's rule, you might lose friends. You might have to say no to some things that we've said yes to our our whole lives. We might be called into unknown places in relationships that make us feel uncomfortable. We might be called to forgive people that we'd rather hate. We might be called to give our money away instead of save it. We might be called to different jobs that we wouldn't have normally chosen. The call of Jesus, it always cost something. But it's worth it to follow Jesus. And you know why? Because you will always be following something. We all follow someone or something, and you are made to follow Jesus. If you follow anyone or anything else in your life, it will always leave you empty. Always leave you unfulfilled. And it's because only Jesus is the one big enough and great enough to bear the weight of your soul. He's the only one that can give you what you're in search for, forgiveness, significant freedom in life. We all follow someone or something. And I wonder who you're following tonight. I love how David Foster Wallace hits on this idea of how we all follow someone or something in a commencement speech he delivered at Kenyon College. You might be familiar with it. But in that speech, he touches on this idea, and this is what he says. David Foster Wallace, um, not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, uh, died early on in life as he took his own life. But before he did, he said this. Here's something else that's true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not following. Everybody follows something. The only choice we get is what to follow. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to follow is that pretty much anything else you follow will eat you alive. If you follow money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Follow your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Follow power and you will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Follow your intellect being seen as smart. You'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being. And tonight, through Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling us to follow him. Who else are you going to follow? Where else are you going to go? Jesus is the only one who can bring life and freedom. The only one that can fulfill you completely. Nothing else we follow can ultimately do that. Everything else we follow lays heavy burdens on our back. Everything else we follow asks more and more of us. So Jesus comes and he wants to take those burdens away. He wants to come and invite you into this grand mission that he is engaged in, in this world. I love how Tim Keller put it when he says this, Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely. And if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. And who wouldn't want to follow someone like that? Let me pray for us this evening. Lord, we are so thankful that you take the initiative you come and find us and you call us to yourself. You do it ultimately, and you do it continually. And for that, we are grateful. We pray that this weekend, as we spend some time intentionally with you through the Scriptures, that you would be in our midst encouraging our weary hearts with the hope of the Gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.
0: hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the texas a&m ruf podcast if you're interested in joining us for a large group we would love to see you at all faiths chapel on the north side of campus across from sebisa at 8 p.m on wednesdays go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on we hope to see you around thanks and gig them